0: Let us pray once again. O oh God, we come this evening once again asking for your presence among us as we open a portion of your word. We pray, God, that you will speak to us even from the depths of Sheol. Speak to us about the most significant things in our life. We pray, God, that... As we go through this uh, book of Jonah, Lord, you will bless us as a church, give us guidance over things that uh, you would have us do. Help us, Lord, to hear your voice and to answer your call. May your name be glorified tonight, Lord, through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Friends, have you ever felt on the verge of death? There was a reformer. Uh, Ulrich Zwingli, who in the 1519 almost died with a black death. And uh, the reason is he was caring for the sick, but then he came to take this black death, and he came back to life unexpectedly. He thought he was going to die. And he's, he wrote this beautiful plague hymn. And here's some of the part of this uh, hymn it says, My God, my Lord... Heal by the hand, upon the earth once more I stand. Let sin no more rule over me. My mouth shall sing alone to thee. Though now delayed my hour will come, involved perchance in deeper gloom. But let it come with joy I'll rise and bear my yoke straight to the skies. This is uh, some of the experience that he went through as he faced death. A doctor says that often people relate to near-death experiences as a kind of review of their life. There is a life review experience that cannot be scientifically proven, yet they are worth noting. They have a profound effect on the person that survives those near-death experiences. And sometimes it causes them to re-examine the lives that they have lived until that moment, the, the morals, the way that they were Living their life just like Zwingli did in that hymn after he recovered. Here's a doctor's description of the life review of a patient. When he realized that collision was imminent, the patient said that they seemed to slow down, time seemed to slow down as he hit his brakes and went into an uncontrolled slide. We see that often portrayed in movies. Uh, Then he seemed to pop out of his body. While in this state, he had a life review which consisted of brief pictures, flashes of his life. His car struck, the truck and the truck bed crashed through the window, causing multiple injuries to his head and chest. Medical reports show that he was in a coma and nearly died. Yet he had a vivid sensation of living his physical body, entering into darkness. He had the feeling of moving up through a dark tunnel toward a point of light. And suddenly he was filled with light he, he, now he had a second life review or life review proper uh, and he felt that as he reviewed the moral choices he had made in his lifetime he suddenly understood that there, there needed to be a change and so those close experiences with death have a power to awaken us to how precious the gift of life is but also how important it is to spend that life well for things that matter. And it's almost giving a snapshot of our entire past existence, urging us to make right decision, no longer carelessly. Even Job, uh, the book of Job, the friend of Job, while wrong in accusing Job's sin, has some wisdom here to give us on this point. Behold, God does all these things, twice, three times with a man, to bring back his soul from the pit, that he may be lighted with the light of life. That is what lesson we see now in Jonah chapter 2. Jonah goes through a three days and three nights being in the belly of a fish. And he shows us how God can use this great hardship in our lives to actually help us to appreciate life, turning away from disobedience, that was the issue of Jonah, even as a believer, to fuller, complete obedience to God, fulfilling, therefore, the mission that God has given us as believers to live it well and ultimately pointing also to the death and coming back to life after three days through the resurrection of Christ. This is what we glean from the de- Jonah's deliverance now. Jonah's deliverance in chapter 2 of Jonah. We continue our journey through Jonah, those who were with us last evening service. And one, one of the issues that I should have emphasized last time, what, what is the reason we're going through Jonah. The main reason we're going through Jonah is because I do believe that this book is really helpful for the church to be awakened about the necessity of sharing the gospel with everyone, everywhere. The danger where the church remains in four walls and we don't share the gospel of salvation and we refuse to open our eyes to the spiritual need of men and women no matter who they be, even our enemies uh, in the case of the Ninevites. You remember from last time how Jonah uh, chapter 1 shows us that he had, had, had disobeyed God. He had escaped uh, God's call and ended in a ship. He was going to the opposite where God wanted him to go to Tarshish in Spain. And there was a storm that almost destroyed the ship until Jonah confesses his sin. And now he's thrown overboard. And we saw already that in the Old Testament, the Jewish people were afraid of, of, of the sea, for sea monsters, but also you get to Revelation, and it's describing a, a new heaven, a new earth without sea, because, uh, you know, there was something to fear there. This seems the end for Jonah, okay? The, the story, however, of Jonah is now st- stopped, interrupted by this chapter 2. We, we switch from the story to a poetry, a poem. And that would be an interpretative clue for us tonight, that there's something in this story that is poetic, okay? Not necessarily literal. This is a psalm. And among the Psalms, this is a psalm of thanksgiving. Jonah is thanking God for having been rescued. And it's in the form of a prayer. Jonah is praying, voicing his crisis, and he's responding through faith and trust. All the way to being delivered, and then rededicating himself to obey the Lord afterwards. Just like in chapter 1, the sailors converted. Now Jonah goes and obey God. We ended the last week in verse 17 of chapter 1. And the Hebrew Bible actually has this verse 17 as part of chapter 2. And think of it. After Jonah's disobedience, God could have simply killed him. Got rid of him. He could have simply sank and died in the sea. Instead, by God's grace, Jonah gets swallowed by a great fish. What looks like an instrument of death becomes actually the instrument of his salvation. And remember, this fish was appointed by the Lord. It was part of God's power and sovereignty and providence. In other words, this was no accident. Jonah thought he was going to drown, but he prays out of the deep, and God answers his prayer. But it it comes through the unlikely provision of a fish. And so now Jonah is in the belly of this fish in the abyss. And three days and three nights, verse 1 tells us, of This prayer that he uttered in the dark place to the Lord is God. The way the prayer is uttered is as if Jonah is already safe. As if Jonah has already survived the event. However, it is uttered out of the belly of the fish. I mean, what a strange place to pray. In the abdomen of a fish. All the way to the bowels of a fish. Can you imagine how uncomfortable it felt inside of that fish? And... We don't know what type of fish it was. Uh, possibly a baleen or a fin, fin, fin whale, a blue whale, a whale shark or a sperm whale or Moby Dick, great fish. Believe it or not, archaeologists say that they have some, some of these fishes as an esophagus big enough to actually contain a, an entire human being. And verse 7, happen, remember, it happens before the ending, verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish, which means all this prayer is uttered by faith while he's still tied up in the dark belly of the fish. So how do we understand the significance of this prayer? This dark and tight within the fish, the stinky stomach. The, there, there's almost a the death of Jonah who dies to what? To his will. He's forced to acknowledge the disastrous consequences of his sin as a believer. And he now surrenders to God's call. And after three days and three nights, which is a quite a long time, He comes back to life. He experiences salvation as if through some form of resurrection. So we have here in chapter 2 is the pinnacle of the faith of Jonah. Pointing to one greater than Jonah that ultimately Christ will three days and three nights give us a greater sign. The sign of Jonah is death and resurrection. The coming Messiah, the time between the crucifixion and the ascension of Christ in the tomb all the way to his resurrection. So Jonah really undergoes a kind of death. It comes back to life. And that leads him to acknowledge that God is the only deliverer. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's look uh, how he experiences deliverance from death. Verses 2 to 7 on our text. Let's look at the first petition that he's got in verse 2 to 4. He says, I cried out to the Lord. See, up to this point, Jonah was prayerless. That is something that we need to remember. Chapter 1 Even the pagans were asking the believing Jonah to actually pray to his God. He was reluctant to pray. And uh, all his prayerless action were a series of folly and rebellion and disobedience, all the way to personal ruin because he did not pray. Now he finally surrenders to the fact that God, it is inescapable, and he begins to send a final SOS to God. We could call it Jonah's psalm. I already alluded to this last time, but psalm 18, which I hope to, Lord willing, go to you in the, with you in the future, it's actually alluded here. The prayer starts as often psalm starts with uh, psalms of deliverance, like psalm 18, verse 6. You have put me in the depths of the pit in the reg- region's dark and deep. Psalm 86 verse 6 is another one of those. Or we could think of Psalm 107 that says this, Some went out on the sea in ships. They saw the works of the Lord in the deep. They were at their wits' ends. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and He brought them to out of their distress. There are several Psalms here. The, the fact that this verse almost mirrors exactly many prayers in the Psalms helps us to see that Jonah knew and memorized the scripture And these verses from the Psalms. And he recites them as he's praying. This is actually pointing out, therefore, to me and you, the benefit of memorizing Scripture. Just like Jonah did here. Especially when you face a sudden tragedy or a moment of trial and the Bible is not available, whatever you may be. You don't need to turn to the book if you have the book inside of you. And you can recite it to help you get out of that uh, despair. You know, think about Christians in persecution, in jail. They don't have a Bible at hand. And uh, that's why memorization and constant meditation, as much as possible, as scripture becomes crucial when the testing for the believer comes. So, Jonah begins giving a summary of his experience. The reason he cries to the Lord is because of his affliction and distress. He's facing anguish and calamity. Jonah is under this very uncomfortable circumstance of having drowned under the sea and now into deep trouble. And you can imagine his panic, okay? The panic that goes in a person, the emotional pain and distress that he had to go through under the belly of hell. Your translation might say belly of Sheol, the depths of Sheol. Interesting, he's in the belly of the fish and it feels like the belly of Sheol. Now, what is Sheol in Hebrew? She refers to the grave, the tomb. But in time, the word meant the afterlife. That is almost going in the depths of the world, the realm of the dead. The New Testament calls this Hades. A place under the earth when only dead people resides. Some here have suggested that Jonah actually died, physically died. There's different theories about whether they see an identity, not just a similarity between Jonah and Christ, which... I tend to see more a similarity here. In other words, just as Christ died and after three days came back to life through a resurrection, so Jonah died and came back to life through a resurrection. We we see other, obviously, resurrections in the Old Testament. This is not impossible. And it will also help make the story of this fish more plausible to the unbelieving skeptic. However, this is a bit of a speculation. I see Jesus making a comparison here. He's not necessarily... Analogies don't require an absolute agreement between two events. Jonah's experience was a type, we could call it, or an illustration of Jesus' death, not necessarily that Jonah actually died. I personally don't take this view because Jonah, remember, prays from inside the fish. He lives long enough to utter this prayer. And it's more like that he went down to what felt like death. Because that ultimately is the poetic use of Sheol. So many times in the Psalms speaks of this. Not as an actual death, but the psalmist feels like he's dying. And other times, people in the psalm speak of experiences, a metaphorical death. Not that he actually died. Otherwise, the psalm would not have come to us in these words. And so Jonah thinks he's as good as dead. That, That is how I take it. His three days' experience in the fish felt indeed like death, like an afterlife. He called for help, and yet God answered. He heard his voice. God would not, you see, lose any of his people, even if they end up in a disaster of this nature, ending in the belly of a fish. So friends, when you're in despair, when even a believer, you, you come to wrong choices you make and, and there's a, you reap the fruit of that, sometimes the best thing that can happen is the thing that you dread the most, that God brings you into that uncomfortable place of, of trying. And trial of your faith. When you fail to obey God's words. You know God wants you to do something. And yet you saw last week. Jonah run. Jonah disobeyed what God said. And when you run away from your responsibility. Then don't marvel that tragedies come your way. And we have no surety that God always has mercy. Like here by the way. There are people whose sin lead them to ultimate physical death. You see. Sin separates you from God. From true fellowship with his people. And this is a a slow and steady descent into darkness. The more we disobey God, the more we refuse to obey something that we know God wants us to do. And there in this abyss where your life is heading, God is calling you to reach out, to pray, to call out on the name of the Lord. He puts you in that situation and He's the only one that can put you out of that situation. Therefore, you must cry out to the Lord because that's where our best prayer are uttered not when we are in the comforts of everything we got but when we are really at our wits end out of affliction you cry to the lord and he answers you when you are at your rock bottom what you you need to realize is like jonah is that you're currently desperately dying in your sin and therefore that requires a crying out to god god is giving us a taste of his wrath to call us to repent and that to show us that we are hopeless unless God saves us. And you might think, oh, I'm so so rebellious, so far from God. So that He cannot save me. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Friend, God's mercy can reach even deeper than your sin. As deep as your sin. God went all the way to the sandbar of the ocean to get this rebellious prophet. How much more can He rescue anyone who is caught and trapped in sin and rescue us from the sin? No matter how far sin led you from God. But the first starting point is you cry out to God. Verse 3. This verse is an outward, onward focus on the nature and extent of the trouble of Jonah. It was you talking to God. It was God who casted me in the deep heart of the sea. It was not a coincidence. In other words, that Jonah felt into the ocean. Verse 4. I have been cast out of your sight. Almost as a certainty. Remember, Jonah was initially trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. We saw that three times last chapter 1. But now he thinks that he's now banished from God forever. That he has gone one step further and it's over. However, even here in the abyss, he realizes something. That God is everywhere. That His mercy can follow Him. It says, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Just one more look to the holy temple. When I come back to life... Out of my grave, Jonah is saying. This is an interesting reference to, to the end of the, each petition, each prayer that Jonah utters, clinging to the promise of looking toward your holy temple. If you go to First Kings chapter 8, Solomon had given this promise. God has given this promise to, to, to Solomon that if anyone sins, any, any true believer of God sins, and look toward the temple, God shall hear in heaven and forgive. So Jonah is clinging to that promise here. Because he thought he was never going to see the temple again. And remember, prayer in Judaism is something you had to do facing Jerusalem. So even in the midst of a situation that appeared hopeless, Jonah has faith that he will see the temple again. That God will listen to his prayer. But you see, just like Jonah, we just desperately need to recognize our need of help from the Lord. Even in the face of death. Think about it. If you're near death and it's so great peril and you don't pray, then what? There's no hope. There might be a great fish before you and yet remember there's a greater God. Just pray to God in your trouble. I mean some of us at a certain age that reality of death is coming closer and closer and death is never easy even for a believer. It is something uncomfortable. There's fear. There's struggle for self-preservation. And this psalm from Jonah helps us to be prepared. To realize that death is only a doorway for the believer. To a glorious eternity for the Christian. But we want to arrive there prepared to meet our Savior. In the presence of God. So be encouraged that God answer prayer. Especially in life or death. Like here for Jonah. They might, yeah, you might indeed have got to go to the grave. But you you, you have a hope. You have the hope of resurrection. Through the greater than Jonah. Who was buried three days. And three nights on your behalf. However if this is true for the believer. What about sinners who do not know the Lord? That they they have to face this this giant of death. And it's scary. They need to get ready. The time is coming when all sinners will die. Will stand before the throne of God. and, And therefore... What will it be? What will it be of all of us if we don't have Christ? We turn to Christ now. Because, friends, as we saw last week, he took that water of judgment on himself, on the cross, on your behalf. But look at the second petition, verses 5 to 7 of Jonah. The waters surrounded Jonah, even to my soul. He was engulfed, referring to the soul as the life of Jonah. He was to the point of death. He couldn't breathe anymore. He was wrapped by... You may imagine algaes, uh, fishermen can find anything, I mean, inside of the stomach of, these, of a whale. And so here he was, all the way to the bottom of the mountains. Jonah sank into the underworld. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. I mean, you hear of stories of people who are buried alive. That's the most terrifying thought. That they bury you alive in a, in a, in a casket under the ground. And you're still, you wake up there in the dark. That's how... Jonah feels at this moment it will be anyone's nightmare but Jonah speaks here from the belly of the fish as though he had been buried alive he felt he was locked out of life like life was slamming shun behind him forever at the gates of this nether-, nether world that's how bad and scared this looked like And yet God verse 6 says brought up me from the pit, from corruption now, depending on how you translate this, like the King James, it's a, it's a resolve to repent in Jonah, or more likely here is, de- once again, a testation of God's deliverance from this certain death, the trouble that Jonah was in. He was trapped there in the belly of this fish, and it felt like that, be- that, that fish was going to be his tomb. So the reference to the grave here again helps us to frame the previous reference to Sheol. Not only God brought him back, but he brought him back alive in a situation that looked like sure death. Jonah felt in the pits for three days, three nights. Imagine what we'll see in coming weeks in in the morning service. Lazarus, who went out of the grave alive. And like Jesus, who after three days, he he then rises from the other belly of the fish of of Sheol. Matthew twelve forty, Jesus uses this, As for as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. You see that Jonah's experience, just like many other Old Testament characters and saints that we saw, for example, in Ruth, but all throughout the Old Testament, they're pointing to a, a dimension of what the coming Messiah will actually do. And in this case is the death and resurrection of christ which makes jonah's deliverance and the fact that he appears now to nineveh next chapter bringing an awakening on arising from the dead for an entire population and faith among so many it makes it all the more as jonah is a type or uh, pointing to christ's resurrection from the dead verse 7 when my soul fainted within me again referring to his life he had lost hopes for survival. And he felt that he was going to die. He felt faint. He felt uh, he flew away down within the tide of the water. He, with, there was no more oxygen perhaps. He felt like life was fainting and slipping away. He was get, going weaker by the hour. He was on the onset of death. Losing senses perhaps due to this turmoil. All the hope of survive were, survival were, were, were gone. And yet he says, I'll remember the Lord. And once again, the temple in Jerusalem. There's a hopeful look of Jonah to the presence of God. Makes me think about the Lord of the Rings where uh, there's this uh, elf, Philia of Galadriel, that gives this uh, light to Frodo and says, May it be a light in dark places when all other lights go out. Jonah is hanging on and clinging to The constant memory of God's temple. And it keeps him alive. The presence of God. And ultimately, this prayer made all the way to the heavenly temple. Didn't it? Beyond the veil. God's true holy temple in heaven. And God answers the prayer of Jonah. That's why a bold, believing prayer, friends, is a prayer that prevails. Desperation. This is what William Berg's Puritan says, Desperation is the raw material of drastic change. That's what Jonah needed. Only those who can leave behind everything they have ever believed in can hope to escape. Sometimes God has to shake us to the very bottom. That God answers prayers uttered in hope for His presence even when uttered at the brink of death. When life is going well, We take everything for granted. But when things get bad, all of a sudden, we are forced to wake up to the truth that we continue to avoid. God sometimes has to humble us, making us face the dark consequence of our disobedience in the face. He brings us to the brink of death to impress upon us that we should never disobey God. And so thank God when when you escape this situation. Thank God when you you realize he heard my prayer in the uttermost part of the earth. And then I realized, thank God that he is everywhere. That we can pray anywhere, at any time, no matter how desperate it becomes. That God will hear me. That the the Lord is in holy temple. And he will vindicate the the, the prayer of the saints. His eyes test the children of men everywhere. You see, you cannot escape him. You cannot disobey thinking that you can get away with it. What saved Jonah is his faith in God's promises. But also the fact that he he finally drops his plan to escape the Lord. He comes to turn to the fact that now I must obey. And so he turns from his sin with faith in God's promises. That he will see revived God's presence again in his temple. He clings to this promise of forgiveness. Friend, your sin is never too great for God. Your predicament is never too difficult for Him. But the point is what you're going to do in terms of your resolution to finally come to that point of trust and obey and repent. Jonah looked toward God expecting to be delivered. He remembered remember the fact that the Lord is committed to the good of His people. However, there has been a big, big cost as a believer for his disobedience. And uh, then it leads to the second point that he admits deliverance is only from the Lord. Verses one, uh, uh, 8 and 9. And that's the ending of our, the closing doxology, we could say, the thanksgiving of Jonah. Now Jonah is turning from God to us. And particularly to the Jewish people back in the northern kingdom. He's telling them so, some, some, some lessons from his, his experience in the belly of the fish. What he learned from this experience is a resolution to give thanks to God for what happened. But he says, Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. That Israel was doing exactly that. Those who pay attention to them for themselves, by the way, for their own profit, clinging and revering and worshiping worthless vanities, lying vanities, that you make them your God. Literally the worthlessness of nothingness. That you're in the midst of need and you call for desperate rescue to something that will leave you without result. It only proves the deceit, the fraud, the vanity of empty pleas toward anything but God. This is a doubly insulted reference to false God. Idols are the epitome of nothingness. They're just empty and false things, ineffective, they lack any reality, they're worthless. Idolatry, friends, is indeed what, what caused the northern tribes to stumble away from the temple. You think about Jeroboam, the first king of the northern tribe. He essentially puts two golden calves because he doesn't want anyone to go to Jerusalem, all the way to the exile in Assyria. Those who go after idolatry forsake their own mercy. That's how foolish idolatry is. You're abandoning and leaving behind the only hope that you got. You become deserted. You turn the back on God's mercy. His faithfulness, his true loyalty toward those children of God who obey him. While some see here obedience of human own to God, God's mercy toward man is what is actually in view. It's hindered by idolatry. In other words, idolatry turns a person away from the love of God. Idolatry in your life essentially forfeits the possibility to receive the kindness and mercy of God. The two things are mutually exclusive. So you see, you cannot be loyal to idols and expect God to remain loyal to you in times of need. And you see your your idolatry crashing down to the bottom when that happens. The mercy that could be your, friends, is forfeited... By your lack of repentance, you cling to idols. Don't expect any help from God. That is what Jonah is saying here. This is a lesson Jonah understood from all this ordeal, from the storm to the fish. You saw that last time. That without the hope of the the gospel, death, catastrophes, any kind of thing should rightly be terrifying, feared. Friends, there's a danger greater than drowning or being trapped in the belly of a fish. Friends, there's an outer darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth that everyone in this earth who fails to truly trusting in Christ for salvation will have to face for eternity. And that will be never-ending. It wouldn't be three days. It will be never-ending. So if you trust anything other than God, you will run away from any hope of mercy. In fact, to run away from God anywhere else in, is a sure death. It's a sure death. You tell me what good will idols be when you are at your wits' ends. Makes me think of uh, John Knox who was imprisoned in these galleys in in France uh, for preaching the gospel, and then there was these storms and, and the, the the mariner says, Okay, let's start praying for this Virgin Mary, everyone. So John Knox takes the Virgin Mary and throw it overboard and says, Let her deliver herself if she can. So make sure no superstition no lies no vanity takes god's place in your life that makes you drown into destruction have you noticed how merciless idolatry and idols are there they stand deaf and uh, scary faces and you you are in your tragedy you're desperate for something but you try to go to those things those idols for comfort for peace but they cannot deliver it whether it's our self-reliance whether it's our pride, whether it's hopes for safety, wealth, and anything you can imagine, it becomes completely helpless. You thought you could end life on your own. That's idolatry. Not anymore after this. When death swallows you up, anything more important to you than God is idolatry. And it proves to be absolutely helpless. In those circumstances, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God is an idol. And it will not help you when you're drowning. So friend, turn from these vain things to the only living God who made the earth and everything that the earth contains. It's time for you to turn to the only true God. And the only way to God is Jesus Christ. That you repent from covetousness, idolatry, and come to the one who can rescue from yourself. And verse 9 concludes, But I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. Now Jonah vows to give a public praise of thanksgiving. Remember what happened last time in chapter 1. The sailors had just done the same thing and, and turned to the living God because they had been spared from the storm. They, 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 they took all their idols and dropped them off and offered sacrifices of thanksgiving for the life God spared. I will pay what I vowed go back to what i said in the beginning this is what happens when you uh, you survive these experiences you really have a new resolution and like and that's what that's that, that's what uh, jonah is doing here no more f- running away from god no more cutting corners on this thing no more seeking to do things my own way no more lying no more deceiving others no more trying to get my own will at all costs, even crushing other people under me because he obeys the lord he goes to nineveh From the rebellion and the discipline that God had brought because of their rebellion, he now goes to repentance, to dedication. He vows to worship none other than God of Israel from now on. That He God is gonna be the center of his life now on, that He's gonna give everything. The prayer ends with this beautiful summary, which could summarize the entire book of Jonah. Salvation is of the Lord's, deliverance and victory. The mighty deliverance, the help that brought Jonah, obviously, from his danger. But also ultimate salvation from the eternal destruction and death in hell. From this word, you get the word Yeshua, Jesus, Savior. The salvation is of the Lord. That means that it belongs to Him and it comes from Him. And it doesn't come from men, neither from idols. This is a quote from Psalm 3, 8, by the way. How many Psalms has Jonah quoted in this chapter? But you see, salvation is of the Lord shows you that this old-fashioned Calvinistic doctrine spoken century before John Calvin was ever born is that salvation is of the Lord. If Jonah's adventure in the whale teaches you something is that salvation is not of man's free will. That in fact, God forces Through His irresistible grace, Jonah and saves him. God works salvation from the beginning to the end. Essentially, God has ownership over salvation. And He has the right to give salvation to whoever He pleases. Which, by the way, is the issue that Jonah doesn't want to submit to. Jonah says, I don't want Ninevites to be saved. But salvation is of the Lord. If God wants to save them, so He will. While this refers to the rescue, therefore, of Jonah... From the belly of the fish, the overall story is that Jonah wanted to decide who and who should not receive salvation. But Jonah did not believe that the wicked pagan Ninevites had the right to receive the mercy of God. And here Jonah is forced to surrender to the fact that God decides, not Jonah. And so Jonah should not flee or disobey God's calling to bring salvation even to the enemies of his That's why someone said once nobody appreciates deliverance like those who have nearly been destroyed. Have you ever had that experience in your life? I remember me and my wife went to uh, a mountain in Italy and one of those occasions where I really led my family badly. But we went on this big hike and it was like very scary hike, okay? Very scary hike. It's like we were there in the side of a mountain. It's like, what are we doing? It's like, Lord, help us. We went through it, but I cannot begin to tell you what I felt once we were finally approaching the car. We made it. Like, there's something that happens in these moments. Like, you thought you were going to die. And then you come back to life like this. That your soul survives a great affliction, and you learn that only God is your help. And that now you can thankfully obey Him. That is the the beauty of this passage. The shock of death. Sometimes the shock of death produces its lasting fruit. Think about that movie we watched, Brother Shefi. This guy was into drinking, right? He had to be awakened with this fire all around his body so that he will stop going on in his sin. Shocking death sometimes produces last fruits. Unless a seed dies, it cannot produce fruit. And the fruit here in view is salvation. And just like God spoke to the fish, so he can speak to any sinner and make you give up your sin. And then it makes you thankful for your life that has been spared. That you have not gone and died where you should have died on that cross. But He died on your place. And now you have this rededication. Now you say, I'm going to give everything to the Lord now. Now I commit my life and I vow to serve the Lord and to obey Him even when it's costly. And in the particular, the obedience here is evangelism. Salvation comes from the Lord. Makes me think again about a lady in the previous church I was. She was diagnosed with cancer. And the last months of her life, she was so bold in sharing the gospel. She started to post YouTube videos and talk with people. And she, th- she felt like she, she, like she was dead by the time I, I was there. But the husband spoke about this situation. He says that how we appear to others no longer was important. We just wanted people to be saved. We realized that this life is over. In a few months, I'm, I'm dead. And, and now, all of a sudden, sharing the gospel became an absolute urgency. So we should thank God when He gives us a second chance, this new beginning. That is God's grace that spares you and He gives you breath every morning that you wake up. And this thankfulness for having been delivered from danger should lead you to yield to God's will from now on. And that means to share the good news and that salvation indeed comes from the Lord. The the experience of Jonah here in chapter 2 is pointing to this ultimate fulfillment in the death and resurrection of Christ. Just like three days and three nights, Jonah went to the belly of the fish. Jesus Christ came to save us from our drowning and our sin. The fact that Jesus did indeed take God's wrath. That me and you deserve for our disobedience. That he died on the cross for that. That like Jonah we receive mercy by calling the name of Christ. And after that he went three days and three nights in the grave. And according to the Apostles' Creed, he actually descended into hell. So what Jonah went through is pointing to what the Messiah will go through. That through his death, Jesus conquered death and the devil who had power over death. He therefore went to the realm of the dead to proclaim victory for the prisoners. This salvation, this ultimately swallowing up of death into life. This should cause you and me to be thankful and hopeful. So what do we conclude here in chapter 2? The prayer of Jonah. That when your sin leads you to the verge of death that you are trapped with the wrong choices you made, when you're about to pass out because of the immense weight of all your trial, I encourage you to turn to God in prayer. Do you believe that God is willing and is able to save you? That unlike any false, pretentious, religious religious practice, He can truly help you. He can truly save you. He can have mercy on your misery and lead you to a transformed life of thankful obedience. All because of one greater than Jonah, who was drowned in your place to pay your disobedience. He was buried in the depth of the earth for three days and three nights. He came back to life and he brings your ultimate deliverance. That's how our story concludes in verse 10. The Lord spoke to the fish to vomit Jonah on the dry land. That same fish that God has appointed in verse 1. Now in verse 10, is commanded to Vomit Jonah. It's time for Jonah to come back to the real world. Out of this experience. And he comes back to the land. The trial had done its work. I mean, how do you think Jonah felt? Extremely grateful. It's like being born again. And he wasn't tarsi sure that he had been spitted by the fish, but on the road that he left back, leading back toward Nineveh. And this time, as we'll see next week, he will obey you you be sure he's going to obey. While this is a great step, the rest of the story tells us that while Jonah is spared, some issues in his heart are still unresolved. We'll see that all the way to chapter 4. He still has a lesson to learn or two. However, this survival here is the first step of Jonah to come back to the Lord. That it takes a miracle like this to get him to do what God commands. That ultimately salvation belongs to the Lord. So you see how Jonah sent God his SOS, and God replied back with His message of salvation through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of His Son. Let us pray.